Welcome everybody once again to the Low Key Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Aaron, and as always, I am joined by Keith and Tim. And today we are going to be discussing the short film To This and Strange, is currently available on Netflix. And in this short film, uh, we are uh, following Carter James, who's a cartoonist, uh, young black man, making it through. Uh, he is just waking up, uh, trying to sneak off from a rendezvous with a young lady he met the night before, who's also black. Um, they say their goodbyes. He dips from the apartment and has an encounter with a police officer, and it leads to um, his his passing. And then he wakes up, and it's a Groundhog Day situation, and it repeats and it repeats, and he's trying to find a way to escape the loop. And there's a lot this movie does is really fascinating. And, and you know, I, I, at least I, I thought it was definitely really worthy of a watch, especially given the, the runtime. It's really good and, and gives you an opportunity to kind of, uh, you know, see things in a new light, potentially. Um, so what did you guys think of it? Uh, what the film was trying to accomplish? Do you think it was successful in, in pulling off what it wanted to do? I guess, Keith, we can start with you. Mm. I think it was definitely successful, um, especially as a short film. I was um, just thinking about before we started recording that I, I feel like I haven't seen a short film in so long up until this point. Like it used to be a point where I would go to like little festivals around town and stuff. And that's mm-hmm. usually when I would actually watch a short film. And it's very rare that you see short films on like platforms like Netflix and Amazon and Hulu, but then once you go and really look into it, if you're actually looking for them, you can find that they are um, a few of them out there, and they they all have a lot to say with such a um, you know, with a small runtime, right? Um, I, I think, um, and I'm sure we could talk more of that towards the end. I was a little confused in what was trying to be said towards the end, um, but for the more, most part, I thought the film was pretty successful in that sense. Okay. Okay. What about you, Tim? Yeah, the end is where the movie really got me. Um, Joey Badass's character tries all these every possible approach to have the Andrew Howard character, the cop, not kill him, and in the end, he finally just befriends him, and they become spoilers, by the way. Um, they become kind of buddy buddy, and then the cop kills him anyway, and that's the part where it just drove home for me. Like, there's almost nothing it it feels sometimes like there's nothing that will stop this from happening and like the fact that as this movie is out you have the george floyd trial going on you have two other similar incidents in the last week it just seems to make the movie's point and it i don't know i mean it's definitely painful it's definitely it's one of those movies that i don't ever want to watch again um because like i i got the point and don't really want to relive it again um but i think it it couldn't make its point better. You, I, I think I know where you're going, but rather than have myself or Keith make assumptions or the audience, could you say a little bit more about why you would probably not have a second viewing of the film? Um, And I know you're not talking about quality of the, of the movie. No, no, no. The movie's great. It's just, yeah, yeah. it's, it's awful to see this inevitability happen again and again and again. It's like, you don't want to hear this story again. And that's the point that Trevon Free, the director is making. I mean, he doesn't want to see this anymore. And he's trying to, to illustrate what it's like to have this same cycle keep repeating again and again and again, and have the same exact type of incident happen again and again and again. And it feels like no one learns from it um, anytime that it happens. Mm-hmm. And with the movie, it's just like, I feel like there's certain movies that just make their point and that point hurts and you don't really need to do it again. Yeah, you know, I haven't watched it yet, but this actually came up as a particular topic, this this idea of um, black suffering being this thing that, that people are having a hard time viewing, given that it's happening in real life so frequently. And then, you know, you're watching it in a, you know, something that's supposed to in some way be a form of entertainment. So um, over the weekend, I don't know if you had seen the discussions about it, but uh, either of you, 
there is a uh, anthology horror anthology series called them that is released on uh, Amazon. And I'm going to spoil this just for the, the purpose of this conversation. There is a, um, right. a I kind of don't want it to be spoiled for me though. Well, well, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not spoiling. I'm spoiling a, a just what a, a, what it is some, some some the violent parts i'm not spoiling plot points i know the plot points too but i'm skipping that simply um it is um horrible depictions of uh rape and violence to both adults and um infants Jesus. um who are black by a white mob of people and um then there's another sequence like that later in the series, apparently, um, that people get into. Um, you know, and I haven't watched them, so I, I can't speak to um, the effectiveness of it or what it, it's attempting to do. But oftentimes, just the the trauma of seeing that is really difficult for people. In this movie, there was this moment that you know, like when he continues to just try several different things, and it just keeps going wrong. He keeps getting shot. Um, it, it is very jarring. It is very difficult to kind of watch that. And I remember in the moment, I was thinking, what are we to take from this? I was really curious about what the movie would have to say near its end. And, you know, like Keith, I'm very, you know, we'll, we'll get to the like the end and what its message is and, and you know, what it is attempting to do. Um, but you know, would I watch this again? I, I think I could see myself watching it again um, with, you know, some younger people or some other folks who would, you know, just to, as, as a way to have a conversation about some of these things, particularly as a creative who's seeking to explore some of these things and maybe understand, you know, exactly the skillful way they did this. I thought overall it was done really well, but it, it is just emotionally very jarring to to have that experience. But it was it was done very, very well, I thought here. As hard as it was to get through at, at points. I um I was thinking to myself, I know this might sound weird to say, but as far as I'm concerned, I don't think I've died before. Mm -hmm. But I feel that I've experienced what I would I think you would consider it an emotional death before. Okay. And or like a a uh, what do you almost like a, a group um feeling of of dying in a sense emotionally from seeing certain things, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember the first time I and I and I think we all kind of experienced this personally through in different points in times of our lives where you may emotionally die and I guess in my in my opinion come back um better or worse in a sense. But the first time I kind of just noticed that in a sense and connected connecting to with other people that um look like me was with um Philando Castile was was shot. Um mm -hmm. because that was the first time I think I seen it and you actually in real time watch somebody die. Oh yeah, I guess that and, one that one is different in that way because the way it's shot, you're you're right, right there. Right. You're right on top of it. Yeah. Right. And it and and there's a part of it I remember experiencing. I remember like that was the first time that I seen it and just actually like burst into tears. You know what I'm saying? And you know the other thing too, yeah. I think this is different. There's another person who is at the moment saying and feeling and emoting what you're feeling in a moment right. at, as you're watching yeah it is so different. so essentially it felt as if i had died mm. you know mm. I, I mean i know that's a weird thing to say but it's like one of those those things and then you constantly and then after a while you constantly you constantly you constantly see it you know what i'm saying maybe not as graphic as with philando castile and that's what that move this movie made me think about you know what i'm saying like that uh, i think what people may not understand is that you that some of us rather we know how to say it there's a part of us that feels like we're dying every time we see someone that looks like us murdered in that type of way and it's because it, it's hard even if you even if to me personally i i think even if you the type of person that's like i don't know 
feel like the the cop was in them situations wasn't wrong in what they did. It's I feel like it's hard if you are in any kind of way spiritually connected to not feel that, to not feel that pain, to not feel that death, you know. You know, what what's to, to kind of um add to your point, um as of today, um, I don't know if either of you had seen this, I happened to come across it. Um do you either of you remember Jacob Blake that incident? What happened with him? So this was not long after George Floyd. Um, he was um, accosted by some cops. They asked him to uh, get out the car, or something, and he was trying to leave. He came. He came to wherever he had gone to to break up a fight. He breaks up the fight. The cops are asking him questions. He's like, "Man, I'm trying to go," and his kids are in the back of the car. And they shoot him in the back while he's trying to get in his car. Um, and, and and they, um, you know, the, the bullets that paralyzed him from the waist down. Um, that cop was not charged with a crime. And he is, uh, as of today, back on duty. Um, the reason I brought that up is one thing that's actually really interesting about um, the officer in this movie, um, I don't know if it's Officer Murphy or Merck or whatever it is, the one who, who repeatedly is killing Carter. Um, what? So the movie is playing with this, you know, what do you want to say, science fiction and magic or whatever's going on with the time loop? It is what it is, right? But if we're thinking of it from a figurative perspective, that officer in, in the J, J, Jacob Blake case is like Merck. He's going to go out and continue to accost black people without you know having anything happen to them and the thing is you know i know we're talking about the things that have just come up in the news but this happens a lot without any news fair without any cameras what you know and people don't even know it takes place so it's like you know let's play this just as we as many people know prior to um rodney king people were skeptical even believing this happened like it was negro fairy tales or something like we just like to tell boogeyman stories about police officers or something so, you know, or it's not even if it's a fairy tale, but if there's something that they did wrong that caused them, yeah, maybe they're making it up to that situation, uh, yeah, or maybe they're making up stuff that, like, so pretty much almost like the boy who cried wolf, you know, or something, or like somebody telling tales to make what they did seem less whatever. Well, and the Rodney um, King cops got off, I mean, it was on video, yeah, they did get off, yeah, and mm-hmm. they get off, and we have the LA riots. It's, and you can, watching that trial, which was televised, I don't know if it was televised everywhere, but I grew up in LA and it was on all the time. And it was, they would, you would have this like slowed down replay of the video saying like, oh, see right there, he lunged at him. Like that's yeah. why. <laughs> oh, the, yeah. the, the today, uh, the, like I, I saw carbon monoxide trending on Twitter and I was like, oh man, we're going to have new car emissions from the Biden administration. That's great. And instead <laughs> it was trending because they were like, yeah, so as you can see, uh, George Floyd's face was near the tailpipe of the car, and the carbon monoxide is what caused the heart the heart attack. And I'm like, look, bro, even if you wanted to go there, he's sucking in carbon monoxide because someone's not letting him get up. The person on the defense in the case. I mean, like, what are we even doing? Like, it, it's so offensive, like how this stuff happens. But the thing about this whole shit is that officer. Who did that to George like uh, Derek Chauvin or Chauvin or whatever the hell his name is, and, and this is not admissible during the case for some reason. But George Floyd's prior arrest video of his prior arrest is admissible. This man, this officer, has seventeen prior of like misconduct uh, things that came up. So people have brought up seventeen other times, and who knows how many other got dropped and didn't even get brought up or weren't even reported. He has seventeen reported cases prior to this of excessive force. And they're not even allowing that as being admissible during the trial. You I mean, know another. You mean? Uh, well, I'm sorry. You go, no, Tim. No. No, I was just gonna say. Um, what also? I, I don't think most people have like been choked out before, or know mm-hmm. like what it feels like. It's like you you would pass out instantly. Like I guess what I'm trying to say is that like a person that's trained. I'm assuming that police officers know how to apply pressure or do chokeholds and so on and so forth. Right. Mm -hmm. They should be able to do that in a way that you don't kill a person. 
there's a way to do that without killing somebody. Yeah, of course there is. E- even because I mean, I mean, I I mean, I'm just basing off like doing jujitsu and stuff like that. Like if you had, if you if you sit up and somebody got you in a in a lock and you don't um and you don't tap out, you nine times out of ten gonna pass out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and before, before out, you die. Before you die. Yeah, yes. the, thing, the thing is, if <laughs> you kill somebody, that's that means they've been passed out and you kept going. Right. That's that's the point. To crush their you know, windpipe. Like you, you know, you know how to make somebody pass out. So you mean if your average person would meaning that a person that d- trains in jujitsu or even a UFC fighter knows how to put in enough pressure just to make somebody passes out. You mean tell me that the police don't know how to do that also? Well, I mean, that assumes they're trained well. That assumes they That's assumed that they're trained well, yeah. Yeah, this you know. is a crazy thing. I, I listened to this pretty lengthy talk about this today on the How Neil Feel podcast. Uh-huh. Um, Neil Brennan is, I guess, text buddies with the creator of this movie, um, Trevon Free, because they he talks about him a lot on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But they just talked about how much training police officers should have and clearly don't have. Mm-hmm. The, the goal is you would people complain about police officer salaries when they get overtime and stuff like that. But I think it's Chappelle who says, you know, you want officers to make six figures, but you also want them to be amazingly good at their jobs. I mean, I was just thinking today, like, what would my ideal copy like? And it's probably like a green beret, like who is very good with use of force and very good with how to use it, but also disciplined. And I mean, when you get stuff like this woman who grabbed the taser instead of the grabbed the gun instead of the taser. <laughs> that is the most bullshit excuse too. It's just how you can't, you can't make a mistake like that. I mean, you know, in general, the idea that you'd put your, your hand on, on the trigger of a handgun and go, eh, that feels like the taser. That, that, <laughs> that's what I'm aiming at. That, that feels about <laughs> Did you even look at the weapon when you pointed it? There's a lot of weird shit with that. It's so incredibly sad. Like, but how- it, it's so incredibly. I either had to believe you're being super disingenuous, you're an idiot, or you're you're being intentional. It's on, there's only three real options there, and I think it's intentional mostly. It's hard for that not to be intentional. I mean, you, unless you just all that I fear for my life crap. I mean, that means you're not trained well. That means you shouldn't even be a cop. Like the person's restraining you doing that. That's insane. But this happened also uh, with Oscar Grant, you know, um, in, in other times, too. I mean, back I, to the I'm oh, sorry. I used to be a regular real reporter before I was, you know, in the entertainment space. Mm-hmm. And this was mostly in Pittsburgh and Phoenix. And you would cover a fair amount of police altercations and how they happen. And a lot of times you what you realize really quickly is that if an officer felt that they were in any way in danger, they were going to kill the person and get away with it yeah. um, and it, the bar is low it's like if you if you hit a cop with your car if you hit a cop car with your car you have used you know deadly force and they're basically justified in doing whatever they're going to do if they think yeah. you have a knife they're going to kill you and i don't think that people realize that that's kind of what you're dealing with but in these cases especially recently it hasn't even been close to that it hasn't been remotely resembling they pulled a gun on me or they backed their car into me or whatever and it's on video it's like what standard of proof do you need well everybody's homelander is is basically what we're getting at you know or um great value captain america (laughs) Uh, but but i I was gonna also say like when you were saying that it made me think about um what the girl that he had the one night stand with Perry was saying when he asked a, a question, she he was asking, so what would you do if someone was trying to kill you every day? And mm-hmm. she said, the first, her first thing she said was, I would kill them first, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought about this for a second. And it's something that I think about sometimes. I don't believe that people should go around shooting police officers or nothing like that. But the thing is, is that there's not even an option. I remember I had this homeboy <laughs> Well, what I mean by option, I'm gonna use this for example. I used to have this homeboy where, like, I don't know if you remember him. This guy I used to kick it with named Pacalo. We used to go to the yeah, club. Yeah, I remember club. him. So Pacalo had this one dude that literally threatened to kill him every day. Okay. Like, and it was like it was like on point. Like, if if he saw us outside, he'd be like, "Motherfucker, I'm gonna kill your ass!" Like all the time. 
and he be dead. Like I said, I said, Pablo, I think he really want to kill you. And like, and one day the guy this just- This obviously Young Keep. Young Keep still kept kicking the real pocket over. Nah, we still was kicking it. Like we was just outside <laughs> one day drinking and this guy literally ran at him at full speed, like full speed. And I was like, damn, that man is not stopped running. And Pac get up and he grabs the guy. Guy was smaller than him. And he like body slams him on the ground and start like pinning him down and stuff. And mm-hmm. I remember looking at that and I was thinking to myself, I would, I could understand if Pac wound up killing this guy because mm-hmm. this dude one day is going to kill you. You know what I mean? Like, and it's like, you can't, you can't call the police on them. What they going to do? They just going to probably get both of y'all. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's another thing. That's another thing with black people, especially black people in the hood. You don't want to call the police on anybody Mm-mm. because that's going to be more of a problem. You, you might as well just handle it. You, you might as well handle it. it yourself. But that, but that's different with the police. Like the police can do whatever, like literally whatever towards you. And there can be no way. Like there's no, I've never heard of like what 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 is self defense against the police? Well, well, like I'd they like, burn. I'd know, like to 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 bring up something that that, that you you mentioned because actually this is actually a very very important part of the movie. I mean, or, or I guess kind of like theme. Mm-hmm. What what are the options? So, you know, in a longer movie, there's probably like all kind of craziness he could try. That doesn't resort to violence, um, you know. Uh, well, but he never does it, though. Think about well, yeah, it. Yeah, but yeah, I know. So, like, think he, the first two times he gets killed, he's like, "All right, all right, you know what? You know what? Maybe I'm tripping. You know, let, let's just have let's just have breakfast. Let's cook." I gotta say, didn't see the cops knocking on the door. I yeah. thought he was just gonna walk outside. Oh, maybe the cop won't be out there in like you know around the afternoon when they showed. That was to me the most shocking part. I did not expect that. <laughs> Um, and, and I was, in some ways, that was the most traumatizing moment where the you know the you know the the, the woman is like pleading for them to, to call the ambulance and and you know in some ways you can tell like she's frightened they might even shoot her but she's trying to get them to focus on the fact he's dying and they're asking all these questions like confirming where they at she's like yes yes you know um, they had the wrong apartment but but you know. Yeah, exactly. Right. Or maybe they were the right. I don't know. No, they I, were at the wrong apartment. Like, oh, they he, were. He asked her because uh, so, they were looking for drugs or something. Some bullshit. Well, there, there's some interesting little stuff they even have thrown in there. But like, you know, he got the six and the nine. So remember, like, he's about to walk out that. I think that it's a six on the door and it flips over to a nine because mm-hmm. the, the number isn't on there properly. That's a, a common horror trope that happens a lot. I was kind of uh, surprised to see it here and even they do it in sci-fi a lot with that kind of stuff when like something's go awry they make it because basically that makes it a loop the six and the nine like that right. um but you know one of the things that was really curious keith in that, that scene you talked about with you know what would i do first you skip this other thing when she mentioned she has a gun right and that's what i'm saying so i was like kind of wondering about it when we ended i said well you know why even keep that moment in there like, it's really weird when sometimes we see a Chekhov's gun and then, you know, in this case, there's a Chekhov's gun where we don't even see the gun, but then he doesn't even consider I, that as an option. I think that's the point. I think the point is, is that, like, you know, he he getting killed for the most just basically breathing, mm-hmm. you know, and he doesn't even think of being the person that the cop wants him to be. So he don't even consider it. Like she brings it up. So therefore the option is there, but he doesn't consider it. Now as an audience member like myself, I would have been like, hell yeah, I'm pretty much stuck in some time loop video game shit. I might as well see, you know, what would happen if I go ahead and shoot Officer Merck first and Mm -hmm. possibly hide the body or something, you know? (laughs) Because like every other option where you actually trying to be passive, where you're actually trying to escape, where you're actually trying to, in in the case that you think would work, actually try to talk with them and appeal with them and so on and so forth. None of that actually works. So because, and the thing is, the movie doesn't say this, but this is something I try to get across to, to people, especially in these most recent times with some of these conversations that have been going on. There's no, you like, like I even had a friend who asked me about Candace almost for some reason. And I said, the whole thing about all this stuff in our current moment, you don't 
there's no debating a racist. There's no meeting in the middle with a racist. Right. There's no so so the thing is with somebody like this officer, you can't talk you can't talk him down. You can't do you know like this. It doesn't matter like whether you smoking a joint or not, whether you got a bunch of money on you or not, whether you looking rich, whether you looking poor. Once he's right. decided that's finna go down, it's finna go down. There's nothing particularly you can do about it, but you do hope maybe that because of the people you're around, something allows an intervention where, you know, that that overall symbiotic pressure of everybody else being around and not having those views and, and whatever, that that will be enough. That's what they were trying to do with George Floyd. They try to appeal to Derek's humanity, Derek Chauvin's humanity and say, you know, please don't do this. This is wrong. You're hurting them. We need to call people to, to, there's no debating racists. They don't care. In fact, you know, they even talk about during the trial that as they continue to plead, he, he put additional pressure on George Floyd's neck. And that is a lot of what this movie is getting across. Although there's this, this kind of addict, like creepy ass context that, that officer is plainly aware of what's happening. Almost yeah. like awesome, some fucking, um, God, there's so many movies that do things like this and they're not just like coming to me immediately, but it's kind of like, you know, what is what is your hell and who is controlling that hell? Right, yeah, like he's the like he's pretty much his um, Satan in a sense. Yeah, so like, the, 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 so when it comes to what the movie's saying at the end, like I almost don't even know to me, it, it kind of, it in no way ruins the movie for me, but it creates a complexity that without it would make what the movie's saying a little more plain to me. Right. And instead, because the thing is, he keeps saying like, you know, or, or Carter says himself, I'm going to find a way to make it home to my fucking dog. And it's like, I hear you and I feel you. And what the movie's saying at the end with everybody's names and stuff, I'm, I love that message. But when you add that context of the fact that this person is almost like either in control of this hell or something like that, like he he intends, because we don't know how much he actually knows. We know he retains memories after killing Carter each time. But it's not really clear in any way what he could possibly do to get out of that situation and where that optimism of his comes from. I mean, to me, that's a, actually a very... Uh, th there's a term for this, and it's escaping me at the moment. But like that, that is a very bleak ass ending, really. Yeah, it's definitely bleak. Um, he doesn't like the 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 kind of. I, I thought it was really interesting that they took the original song. It's not coming to me. That from that's just the way it is. You know. Yeah, yeah by Bruce Bruce Hornsby. Thank you, Jeez, That was killing me. I mean, um, you know what? Okay, so a couple weird things happened while I watched this movie. Right. So. That song, so for my birthday, Randall took me to this restaurant and this guy was playing on the piano and he was playing and singing that exact song, right? And, and you so made it home. Song, How'd you get out the loop? So me and Randall was going back and forth <laughs> rapping the Tupac version and stuff. Yeah. We was like, dang, dude going in. Like, like could we like, we like that version too, right? Mm. And then I thought it was interesting because also because when he was sitting in the cop and he was talking to the cop, the, the guy, and he asked him like when his birthday was, the cop, mm. and the cop said he was a Scorpio. And um the main character said he was a, a Aries. And it's funny because I'm an Aries and Randall is a scorpion. Ooh. And mm. we heard this song. Mm. And then I was another thing I was caught up on is why is this movie called Two Distant Strangers? Yeah, it is a little weird because it, it they normally something totally different. It was weird until I started, until I heard the song, and then it made me think about Tupac's changes. Mm -hmm, he has mm -hmm, a verse mm -hmm. in it. I can, I kind of saved it or something. Oh yeah, yeah, he, he, he yeah, he does say that two distant strangers. So tell me how it's supposed to be. Yeah, mm -hmm. he he brought it up. He said, um, and I'm 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 assuming this is why they use this. He said. I got love for my brother, but we can never go nowhere unless we share with each other. We got to start making changes. Learn to be more, learn to see me as a brother instead of two distant strangers. Nice. And that's how it's supposed mm -hmm. to be. How can the devil take a brother if he's close to me? Yeah, there we go. That's it. So 
I remember I, so so the moment I saw the title and I heard the song and it started coming together, and I was like, well, maybe that's why he went with the title and the two distant strangers. Because at first I thought it was him and the girl, but it's really him and the police officer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and, that, and that's definitely a reference to, to that Tupac, um, that Tupac lyric. Yeah, because it, it hit me when they used that song. So I was like, oh, that's funny. I think the worst part of it is the, to me, just in what you said about racism, but then the overall, I think, optimism of Black people when mm-hmm. it comes to races, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, especially like, we're, especially we're, considering that I think Black people overall come from, a, and I'm a Christian too, a very like culturally Christian background, I think. Mm-hmm. So we're real quick to forgive certain things even like that both in gene uh situation right, right there. and i and i and this is the thing this is the thing i i i felt that i felt i felt where they were coming from with that but i'm just saying like overall it's just too many situations where we we're dealing with people that apparently have no conscience in a sense right no they don't believe in our humanity like at the very like, least. um i think stokely carmichael has said something about that at one point is mm-hmm. that you it's, it's okay if you're dealing with like human beings, but if you're dealing with someone that does not care about you, that will literally want to see you destroyed and wiped off the face of the earth, which is what racism is, which is what a racist will feel. Then there's, like you said, there's no reasoning with them. Or at the very of- least, uh, as Paul Mooney has, has put it several different times, they, they would love to see your black ass uh, being owned again. Yeah, he he said he made this joke. He said, "Man, white people ain't been the same." He said they used to be in movies, sitting there, uh, <laughs> like dancing around and stuff, and then you know all these things pass to make right things more equal, and they walk around the movies now mad as hell all the time. <laughs> it's, it was just a stupid little joke. I was like, "This is so so right. funny." But pe- but people who feel that way in their hearts. I mean, the thing is, like we talk about this all the time, but like my mother remembers separate uh, faucets separate yeah. bathrooms all that like it was not that long ago and those people are still alive and a lot of them people who were kicking it back then they're the ones in you know in congress in the senate you know um or in the house too you got this you got this you keep saying we've all sort of thought <laughs> let me just stutter as i try to get to what i'm trying to say <laughs> i thought when i was growing up in like the nineties, well, some people just have to die for the world to change. Like these 80 year olds and 90 year olds, they just have to die off. And then my generation will come up and things will be better. And we did. And I think things are better in some ways, but in some ways they're just not. And that means that people are continuing to vote the way that they're voting. I mean, the Georgia situation is happening with the restrictive voting laws there. I know that people claim that the laws don't actually do anything negative, but they should read it. Um, and decide for themselves. So it seems like it does kind of replicate itself as a virus every generation for some reason. And maybe it's not as strong in successive generations, but it does keep happening. So it isn't just they're old. And Mm. the thing I wonder about is as a, a thing I think about a lot as a white person is we need better white people. And what I mean by we need better white people is like we kind of need more we need white people who have like more of a sense of perspective and don't think that this all started like today where they have this attitude of like, Hey, everybody's equal. So everybody's equal. So, you know, why do black people expect this or like one special treatment or whatever all this they say. And then the white person becomes aggrieved. The white person is like, I didn't get a job because they hired a black person or they hired a woman or whatever, ignoring that there's like years of history um, where they had an advantage where their ancestors had an advantage, where they were put in a better socioeconomic, it sounds real intellectual, uh, academic when I say it that way, but I mean, their grandfather was able to buy a house and they're they're inheriting the wealth from that house. Um, Their grandfather was able to get a job. They had all kinds of opportunities that maybe your grandfathers didn't have. Like my grandfathers had those opportunities. Mm -hmm. So how do you talk to those people and convince them that you're not aggrieved, you're not being, you're not the victim here. Um, you're not coming from a position of self-defense when you carry on this racism. 
because I think that the I think that the majority of white people who I would consider racist think that they're defending themselves. Well, that's the the argument that they use. Everything is about victimhood, and, and, and I think they're wrong. Play. I mean, to be totally. Just to be one hundred percent clear, well, no, well, well, whether whether they, you know, like it's not about whether or not we disagree. And again, racism isn't a thing about you can't debate racism, like because the thing is, the core of what they believe is that they deserve shit. Yeah, and you they, know, and and if they don't have it, then that's a problem. And if a lot of that goes back to the fact that these inferior people are taking shit from you. Right. I mean, the Tucker Carlson um, comments recently that people have said are basically ra- racial replacement theory. The idea that, mm-hmm. you know, whoever is coming to replace us and steal our, you know, white things that we are automatically entitled to as white people. Yeah, but then there's also like white men who think that they're entitled to women also. Absolutely. And then because they don't get no coochie, they go out and go shoot up some people, you know. Well, but see, that's a cultural problem. <laughs> so, so, Tim, so, Tim, actually speaking to what you were talking about, again, this is a crude Paul Mooney joke, but he was talking about how... Um, <laughs> He said, "I'm I'm scared of." Uh, he said, I, "I see a white kid in the, in the Catholic uh, in the Catholic school out there. I just start running. I, I scream and start running." <laughs> he was like, I, just, "I don't know what the fuck they're gonna do. They have one bad day, and then they start talking. About, I'm, I'm gonna shoot everybody yeah. in this." Because I be I wonder about that. Like, how many, out of all these like mass shooters and stuff, how many of them were like sexually repressed and something Not, like but, but look or felt wait, like wait, wait 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 look even if you wanted to go there he was making this joke he was like white people make train all these wild animals but they don't he, and then he's like he said why don't they they uh train their kids stop stay don't bring that gun outside no that I, yeah i get the joke but what i'm saying i think that goes back to what tim is saying about the entitledness well, but right. but with, just with, like just like if you think that you you deserve more over different ethnicities because the world um, should bow down to you. Not only should other races or ethnicity should, but also women should also. But like it's, it's like this thing ownership of, over women's bodies. It's this thing of teaching people. But like I think all that goes back to a culture issue, and being willing to to say we have a culture problem and we need to be proactive about speaking about the toxicity that we're teaching our youth. And, the, yeah. and that, that virus you're speaking of, that's where it comes from. We're, we're teaching our youth terrible things and then they act out impulsively and they don't, there's no empathy when you do that to people, to strangers and, and others, right? But yeah. then there's empathy for those, for the, like, the thing is, those people who are mass shooters don't have empathy for the people who they're killing. But then, the you know, all these people surrounding it have so much empathy for the shooter you know, like, and, and they, you know, like, oh, remember, even the thing that happened in Atlanta where they, that guy was shooting, uh, you know. Oh, they, yeah, sex workers. And yeah, yeah. And well, 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 well he, he's claiming they're sex workers because they're right. in softball and stuff like that. And, and Keith, like you said, he's something he's sexually repressed and stuff, but it's like, okay, um, but, I mean, where were the parents? Like, what are they teaching this? What, like, what, what is, what's happening where that's felt like an appropriate outlet for his his frustration whatever the hell it is and then all these people go on tv these, these police officers saying he had a bad day that's not an appropriate way to talk about it it's not admitting any fault with the culture and what we're we're teaching they also um some people have said it um blame porn for it also hey, I hear that. but but i do think i do think there's something to be said about that but that also goes into like the cultural thing right Meaning but even like, even if we're talking about sex and porn, that I mean, look, other cultures of people ain't going around with their repression that's, yeah, that's and, the, and, that's killing, the and killing indiscriminately. That's the point I'm trying to make. Like, there, I think different stimuli affect di- di- different people in a whole yeah. different way. I'm sorry, I'm stuttering with my words. Yeah. So, so like, you know, I might see something and it has no effect on me. Next person sees some, it has like an adverse effect on them, you know. Yeah, and there's people who are mentally ill and they think their dog talks to them, and you know, somebody sees taxi driver and decides they have to kill the president. I mean, different people are going to have different reactions, and you can't blame the supposed stimuli. You can't blame taxi driver. You can't blame the movies, the video games, the books, the the one person, one celebrity who. Well, that's 
that's part of it. I have this thought sometimes and I've, I've actually, I don't know if I've ever said this aloud, but, and I'm not trying to be all like virtue signaling and like, mm, but I think you have to actually have a mental illness to think, you know, my race is superior to another race. I mean, but, but so, but I, I don't know. Cause when you're taught that st- look, you know, uh, and also I don't mean to like imply that all mentally ill people are racist. I'm no, saying, no, no, no. I, I, I'm saying that I, like, I don't you, think anybody read it that way. I would okay. Think but I, I want to be super clear about that. What I'm trying to say is like, there are certain people who they have something going on mentally and the way it expresses itself is through these like racist outbursts. Um, mm. I don't know. I, I just, I just have a hard time wrapping and I don't mean to deny that they exist, but I, I have a hard time believing that there are people who truly believe like my race is better than every other race and I should kill everyone else. I mean, obviously Hitler seemed to really believe that. I just don't feel well, like- he convinced a lot of other people to believe that. He did. And I just, I can't, I don't understand how you- But, can but that's the thing. That it, it, but, but races can't be understood. They believe what they believe. Like I like whether it, we, we see it as mental illness, they can just be passed on and how we view that. They have those viewpoints and they really truly believe them. And there are people who believe that a lot of these people who are authoritarian or whatever are like gods. Yeah. You know? I and, guess my question is, my question is how do you, you said you can't fix these people basically. And I'm wondering, is there any way to fix these people? Is there I think anything you can do? Well, what I mean is when someone's in that mindset, you can't you can't focus your energy on trying to change those people alone like that. You have to try to work with the people who who are willing to have the conversation, because I think. Yeah. Have you ever thought about maybe that Hitler might not have been racist? And instead was what? Manipulative. And manipulative. Oh yeah, like, mean it, that's mean possible. It, like, yeah, because because even when I think about racism, and it's it's more of a human built construct in a sense, an ideal. I mean, and, the and thing is, the people who benefit more from racism are the people at top at the top. Well, but but the issue is yeah, what agree, you're right. saying is that definitely what you're saying fits a lot more with our last president than it does with Hitler. I mean, Hitler has a lot of writings where he goes into a lot of depth. Now, yeah, he could just be using yeah, authoritarian power reasons, but the thing is, however you want to spin that, he used other people for those means. So even if he didn't believe it, a lot of other people did. So it it kind of, the the truth or the, the factual nature of whether or not he really believed that, the fact of the matter is he got a lot of other people truly believe in that stuff in their hearts yeah right. and then passing and, that down and that's 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 what i was gonna say like people people usually lead in three ways they lead through love hate or fear yep and so he he chose hate he knew people these people hated to hated them anyway they hated jews but so also all he yeah. did all he did was just added more to it you know but and also and, what were you gonna say? Sorry. Just the classic, like they're coming for your women, they're coming for your jobs, right. whoever they yeah. is. That's fear and hate. And also, right. hey, the, the reason you don't have what you should have is because they took it. And they also, control this, they control that. Also, and what you, you but you compare them to to Trump. I, I definitely think that Hitler was much smarter than Trump, but he also <laughs> was doing things in the time that social media didn't exist where you couldn't just get up and tweet something. Yeah, but but they so were pro- they, but, they, but they were propaganda machines too in a different way. That's what I'm saying. I mean so, there's, there's a there's a lot of ways this stuff works, but at least for this movie and two distant strangers, the, the the primary focus of what they're interested in and invested in in the film is simply this idea that there is no so wherever he got that from, whether he's some like magic entity or some real person who just stuck in a loop or and happens to know what's happening or whatever he has decided that you know this is almost like a cat and mouse thing to him he has the power and he cannot be punished for his actions like that is kind of like because we're just, we're going really macro with the conversation we just had but in the micro sense he understands he's not going to be punished. He he makes up right because even like to, to the point you made, it was the wrong address. All right. He knows ain't nothing gonna happen. He, you know, uh says he has a joint or doesn't have a joint. 
He can make up stuff. He knows nothing's going to happen. Even the, the crazy thing, and this is actually the other point this movie kind of makes, and it says without saying it, that it's very likely that that one cop is not the only cop who knows this stuff or is doing it this way. Because when he, I forgot exactly how it happened, but remember how Carter has a conversation like, yeah, you can go ahead and go. And he's like, oh, cool. And he's like all chilling. Then those two kids run past him. And they're like, where'd your friends go? And he's like, oh, come on. And then the other two cops shoot and kill him who were off screen. Yeah. It's almost like no matter what he does, they're in a game to just kill him over and over and over again. Like, yeah. like they're playing. Like, remember those Goosebump books we used to have? Where like it was pick your own adventure. You yeah, try to get out different we ways. We were actually watching Goosebumps yesterday. Goosebumps kind of cool. The, the TV show and yeah. the books. The books pretty cool. But you know, it's kind of like they have. They're almost like having fun with him. You know, finding ways to screw with him. And I think that's art. I think that's him. I think that's the creators of this movie trying to express a feeling and what it feels like more than like a literal truth. Um, this is just, it does feel like everybody is aligned to make the system continue happening the and, way it happens. And, and to the point uh, you're making there, Trayvon Free um, was actually on the Movie Maker podcast um, a couple months back and he spoke specifically about his personal experience that kind of inspired the movie, um, having been pulled over several times talking to um, white colleagues of his and, and realizing that their experiences were very different. Like the sort of things that happened with him, they were kind of standard. They were like, that never happens to us. They never asked me if I have a weapon. They never asked me if I have drugs. They never asked me these incriminating questions um, to, to see if I'll, I'll, you know, incriminate myself essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and that's an, that's an unfortunate, um, distinction that that is is um not just a narrative plot device but is rooted in reality right the thing thing i where i keep going back to how do you change these people and i don't feel like for anybody listening who thinks i'm saying this i don't think it's like the responsibility of black people to you know save these white people from themselves um i think it's white people's responsibility to switch these white people and to make them see that they're that they hate themselves as well as hating other races effectively that really i keep going back to we need better more educated smarter white people and i think of this dude daryl davis who's the subject of an amazon documentary um have you guys heard of him is that and look i'm i'm, I'm about to make a wild guess because i don't know is that the guy who infiltrated the uh the kkk kind of he's a black musician Damn, um clansman met him at a maryland uh, truck stop he was playing piano and he goes you play piano better than Jerry Lee or you're the only black I've ever heard who can play piano like Jerry Lee Lewis and he goes where do you think Jerry Lee Lewis learned to play piano and from there he straight up befriends this Klansman and convinced oh. by listening to this Klansman and hearing out all of his ridiculous theories and listening you know quote-unquote respectfully um <laughs> nodding along and going uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> he's eventually able to make this guy see you know daryl davis is a human too and an intelligent human too and deserves my respect and maybe by extension other black people do too and maybe i've been an idiot all this time and that guy ends up handing over his robe and 200 other white supremacists have handed over their you know laurels or robes or whatever their white supremacist treasures are and abandons their ways and the point that daryl davis makes is and again it's not black people's responsibility to do this but Mm -hmm. the point he makes is most of these horrible things these horrible shootings and acts of mass violence are carried out by lone wolves and if he's able to stop one lone wolf he might save you know 10 people and so i guess i sort of think how do you how do i be more like this guy and that means engaging with white people who I think are shitty. Well, I I think, I think, I think before engaging with white people who are shitty, it's engaging simply with the people around you. I think the most important thing is that, you know what, like I had a friend who, um, 
I forget which video it is we were looking at. Because, again, there's so much stuff that came up recently, but uh, it's another black guy. And he said, man, look, I don't want no... He says, it's not like I want retribution for what's going on. He said, I just want them to treat us, you know, as they would anybody else. I, I want I want fairness like white people are getting. That's all I'm asking for. I ain't asking for no special treatment, no extra shit. Just want to be treated fairly. That's it. Yeah. And, you know, I think what is missing is a um, an acknowledgement that there is a a fundamental difference in in how uh, perpetrators of violence, aggressors in particular, who are white, are treated when certain things come up, um, and you know that's something to work with with people in your immediate circle because they those people have an immediate circle, and then those people have an immediate circle somewhere in there that you're hitting an asshole, right? But that but the thing is that's for them in their immediate circle to deal with. You don't need to be seeking out crazy motherfuckers because that's gonna drive you crazy. It's not your you know your life's work or mission. We've all had that. We've all had the experience of like you just get in an Uber and the guy says some crazy shit, right? Or I, I used to have a racist dentist who I went to one time. Um, and it's just, you know, you have you can either go like, uh-huh, sure, just finish my teeth, I'm leaving. Or you can argue with these people. Yeah, but, okay, so you're right. But there's a power dynamic there. You don't want to start having that conversation while he's in the middle of, you know, whatever, uh, cleaning or whatever was going on. But the other um, thing is you're not going to like, you're not going to beat him in an argument when he's in that power dynamic and if you do yeah, you, mm-hmm. you ultimately lose if you convince him like here's all the facts here are all the statistics you're totally wrong you're an idiot then he ends up digging in more and becoming more entrenched in his stupidity so well and that's the thing well, a lot of people when you talk about racism and keith i know you and i've had this experience you'll be talking to somebody who's white about some racist that happened and they feel like they're getting attacked and i'm like i'm not talking about you why are you defending something that's like not relevant not about you you know, we're just trying to get to the bottom of a conversation we're having. But yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't done that. I, you know, I don't really talk to white people about race like that. No, I don't. I don't do it as much. <laughs> I don't do it as much anymore. Um, and not well, not white people. It's more like I don't engage in a lot of those conversations with people I don't have a good rapport with already, where I know we can have a dialogue and and have places where we disagree. Now, not disagree about racism, but disagree about solutions to to issues and how certain things are viewed and things like that there's room for people to have different sorts of solutions and i'm open to those but you know one thing that that is troublesome is we are having a conversation with somebody you know like you know when these officers are doing things that are where they're clearly aggressive and the other person's like not attacking them not doing anything might be running shooting them in the back like we even got some in nashville they keep delaying the trial but there was a cop in nashville who shot a guy and this is on video while he was running in the back um supposedly because he thought he was a suspect in some um car thefts the guy was not involved um and he killed him and um you know, when you had a conversation and it's like with well, the guys like literally running away, didn't attack him or anything. And then somebody's like, well, yeah, but I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah, but like what's what's the but for? Like what what is the reason he's attacking him? And you start getting into that and people get mad. And it's like, OK, well, that's not a conversation to have. I can't have this conversation with you. And that's OK. You know, because I'm not, the thing is, we don't need to as individuals in our own lives, take it upon ourselves to try to fix people. There's a lot of other stuff going on right now. We got families, we got COVID, we got jobs, we got all this other stuff going on. We got other stressors. Like I said, your media circle is where you want to make sure you're building and fostering well, a, a good culture with the people yeah. who are in your life, you know? And I do think that like, you know, as far as black people is concerned, I do think it's something about what we can do for our people and build up our community build up our um, education, knowledge base, and also wealth within our community. Because mm-hmm. I think that's gonna, that plays a huge part because I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense. Let me say in this words, since I left Memphis or since, you know, certain things changed a little bit financially, there's certain problems that I had with police officers that I, for some reason, don't tend to have them anymore. Oh, it's not right. for some reason. You said the reason. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> the reason. 
Um, but then that that might, you know, be certain other issues. Like, like I live, you know, in a pretty fairly nice neighborhood now, but I still don't want to walk outside at night. Yeah, I don't even see cops, to be honest with you. But mm-hmm. I just always sometime in the back of my mind I had that fear. What if they pull up on me, think I'm trying oh, to no, break into somebody's car or some shit like that? But but the point I'm making is that a lot of times these things happen, you know, to us because for one, we don't, we don't even, it happens to us in neighborhoods and stuff where we don't even have a presence in the neighborhood, but it's so many of us there, if that makes sense. Like we don't have a financial presence in that neighborhood. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then you see a lot of this happen with um, certain areas like um, that they have experienced like gentrification, right? Or like what we talked about in Concrete Cowboy, how you you got gangbangers that fought over a particular block and now they didn't built a Starbucks on the same block that they didn't bled on, right? Man, and yeah. I think it's something to be said about that and how um we don't we don't have the knowledge base to have the power to even have any control within our own neighborhoods, right? But see, I think so part of it is I've gotten a little more um of a great understanding of how some of these things function. And sometimes it's not just simply like, we don't even have resources. Sometimes people won't allow us to do those things. They won't even provide you. Look, we've seen Falcon and Winter Soldier. Even if you got the funds, like they ain't trying to hand you a business loan. You know, I mean, like that happens plenty, but they'll give them to other sorts of immigrants, you know, and things that that's kind of the game you know, in a lot of ways. So um, not investing in neighborhoods, removing jobs, inserting drugs and weapons. Oh, why are they like this? Because the thing is too, like once you get rid of, once you redline and then you don't allow people to have jobs, that impacts schools too. No question. So, because the thing is the quality of the school oftentimes basically can be tied down just because of how public funding works. Uh, to the property values, you know, in this particular zip code. That's just how they go. And these things are not, they're done with intent. Basically, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. And so, um, but but that intent, you know, occurs outside of an individual's, you know, own will, even if you really mean to do a whole lot. That's why it's really important to have a living wage for people. You know, like something that's really important is like, if you, Let's say you make $15 an hour. That's about $30,000. That's probably like $22,000, $23,000 take home. That's not really enough money to do much of anything, even if you live in like in, in a place in, where the cost of living is pretty low, which means oftentimes you're not going to be at home. You can't watch your kids. You might not have a daycare. You might not have this money. They mean they're getting into stuff. They mean you can't be there to parent and You can't be there to take care of certain things for them or tutor them through certain lessons in school or whatever might be coming up in life, you know? Having a living wage is important. And the more money, it's actually really expensive to be poor. Like I even was talking to my cousin one day about how like, you know, when he had less money, like, so he got triple A now, right? But, uh, oh, you know, Kevin, but uh, he had a situation where like his truck broke down. He had play back then. He had to pay $300 for somebody to come get it. I needed a tow two days ago and I asked the guy like, oh man, how much is that going to cost? He's like, do you have AAA? And I was like, oh yeah, right. My wife has AAA. <laughs> yeah. When, this thing, when you, like, when you have access to stuff, it might even be that you got, you just rich or something, right? But you have access to memberships and things that other people don't have. Well, shit, when you live in a certain zip code, AAA ain't coming out there. You know? <laughs> it's just what it is. Not to combine every single news story, but the other thing is homeownership. I mean... Yeah. When everybody went after, not everybody, when the New York Post went after the woman from Black Lives Matter for having a bunch of homes, it's like, so she accrued wealth and then she invested the money in one of the best things you can invest money in, homes. Mm-hmm. And now they're mad at her. I mean, I guess the subtext that they haven't at all proven is that she took it from, from the charity, but there's no proof of that whatsoever. I mean, she also had, you know, deal she also had book deals and deals to produce content um Mm. which i imagine the money comes from and buys buy some property which is like one of the smartest financial decisions you can make i don't know why the fuck anybody would be mad at her for that like that's if you want to if you want to see wealth accrue among black people that's a great way to do it 
Right. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I ain't never seen thing. nobody uh, going after white people for having a bunch of homes like that. Fuck but, no! I wanted to like have Fox, everybody on Fox News like post pictures of your home. And by the way, a, <laughs> home, a home in Inglewood is not like an incredibly like ostentatious. They were saying it was like a luxury home or some shit. Like, go on Redfin and see where the least expensive houses in the Los Angeles area are. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, it's crazy. Cool well, look, we we run to an hour. Like, I mean, we've talked a lot about the movie. We talked about a lot of stuff around the movie. This movie is a good conversation starter, obviously. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely three times the length of the movie. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 pretty dope. I, I I really, I think it's doing so many clever things that that. Oh, hey, we never mentioned this. Joey Badass, pretty pretty decent actor, and actually, Andrew Howard. You know, I didn't really follow his discography like that. Now that I've seen him in Watchmen, you know, prior to this too, and he was really good in that, he's outstanding in this movie. He's scary as hell, but he's outstanding in this movie. I really enjoyed him. And, you know, you know, sometimes you like you write something in a script and then somebody takes it to a whole nother place. Like that, <laughs> that scene where he is, um, he's talking to him. He's like, bravo, bravo. And he starts like doing that crazy shit. It's so cool. Like, you know, they didn't write it like that, you know, but he just took it to a whole nother. He's a theater, um, a thespian too. Um, so, you know, he he definitely kind of took that moment to, like that was his King Kong moment, you know, like training day. It was pretty fun. Um, but I, I, I just thought he was really, really good. Um, That's gotta be the weirdest job for an actor where you're like, you're super racist. <laughs> playing super super racist and you're like did i go too was i too good was- you know what like so so i uh, true story so uh i used to play um for alex haley farm like out in, in uh, tennessee in east tennessee um they were doing a um so basically what they do at alex haley farm you be basically relive the slave auctions and then you go out as a slave and you um like you do like the kind of trails they would do and you hide from people trying to find you and take you back to to the the you know to the house where you're owned and all this right what um, yeah it's 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 a weird experience i actually uh performed there a couple of times um and one of the people who did it of course was harrison and he was a, like an auction uh like one of the um God damn, I forgot the person who's like actually selling people and like listen all the, the prices and this and that. So we had to stand up there and get sold and all this. And like after the thing's done, he's like, was I too good? Oh. <laughs> I don't have the confidence to do that. Yeah, I, probably, I probably wouldn't do nothing. Like, why, why people who do who, who like take on roles like this and do things like that it, for the sake of education or like Provide some form of entertainment in some way, like because it's like this: if somebody did a modern day version and proudly did a modern day version of, um, oh my God, what's what's the movie? Come on, the first motion picture ever. Um, oh, Birth of a Nation. Or yeah, what? if yeah. someone redid that proudly, it's like, yeah, we're redoing. That. That's a whole another thing, right? But um, I always wonder. Uh, <laughs> I always wonder what Corbin Bernstein's reaction was after doing Tales from the Hood. Like when he plays, he's like very like blonde, I think blue-eyed white guy who's yeah, also yeah. terrible. And when people like, we appreciate what you did in that movie, or were they like, you fucking suck? Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm always curious when like actors play villains in general, but playing these kinds of villains is kind of like you know it's very true to life in a different way. Um, yeah, it's 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 a fascinating thing. I I, I feel like that would be a good thing to. Um, ask an actor not not on the spot give them an opportunity to know you're going to ask the question and you know like that that's got some fucked up shit if you don't let them know it's coming but uh yeah um i'm i'm like really um i i, I just thought he was outstanding in this film uh and and i, I thought and and it's, it just really feels good like the writing feels good it flows it makes sense um feels natural um doesn't feel forced i just I I just thought they really kicked ass with this movie. Yeah, I um, think um, short films are hard to write because because it's only you got to say a lot. I mean, especially with this film, say a lot with like a such a small amount of time, and I felt like they did a good job of coming in and coming out. You know, 
Yeah, it does. It it, 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 it picks a scope and it sticks to it, and it it's it it leaves you wanting more, in a good way. Yep. So, uh, but if you made it this far, we really appreciate it. This has been a you know definitely one of our lengthier conversations, and you know if you made it this far through all that you know traumatic, uh, you know figurative um, film and and real. Uh, <laughs> discussion about all this stuff um we really appreciate it and we'd like for you to share the podcast you know if you got this far we definitely appreciate that um and definitely check out this movie it, it's you know uh definitely a way to maybe give an opportunity for somebody who's you know wanting to get a perspective about something uh this is an opportunity to do that i think um but definitely please like share um what you've heard and keith if you could tell everybody where to find us on the social social media yeah we on the the facebook and instagram at the low-key pod perfect tim anything you would like to close with um i'm just scrolling through my phone trying to confirm that that was corbin bernson in that movie i still cannot find it corbin bernson works a lot everybody he gets a lot (laughs) of jobs it's a lot of work so much work that that tim's like damn i can't find it (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, uh, we're going to have something exciting, I'm sure, in the next one, too. There's plenty of good stuff coming up. Really can't wait to keep talking with you guys about this stuff. It's been really fun. We're getting close to episode 100, which is also pretty fun. Nice. So, yeah. So we'll, we'll have to see if we can come up with something, something special to do that time. We have to think about that. Maybe that's when we can bring on our, our special celebrity guest. <laughs> Corbin Burnson. <laughs> If you pull that off, I'd be dying laughing. (laughs) Perfect. All right. We'll holler at y'all next week. Peace. Peace.